0: Thank you for listening to this message, brought to you by the audio ministry of Lighthouse Baptist Church in Schenectady, New York. For more great content, please visit us at lighthousebaptist.org. Now let's open our hearts and minds to the Word of God. All right, well, good morning to you. Boy, I'm just, if you're like me, this this is a cloud nine week. Roe versus Wade. Roe versus Wade. Just amazing, amazing, amazing. From, uh, from a legal standpoint, it was just the right thing to do. Uh, there are many justices who are on different sides of the abortion issue, whether it's right or wrong, who say that from a legal perspective, it never should have been passed in the first place. And uh, so I'm just so thankful that, that there's been this momentary dawning of righteousness over this, you know, over this country, we do have a great country, I, I sound a little pessimistic sometimes, and I'm generally an optimist, I'm just, uh, I'm not happy with of course a lot of things we see going on, but boy, praise God, the right thing happened, and uh, I was worried, I, I think you were too, about the leak about six weeks back, and I don't know what's this going to do, and I'm sure that was done on purpose, but um, boy, thankfully, the right thing happened, so that is, uh, that is really good. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look at a a few different passages today. Hebrews chapter 11. Hey, Harry. How are you? (laughs) Very good. Would you put the the title, screenshot up? I may have changed it. The Power of Hope. There you go. A little bit different from what I have in my notes. went through a couple uh, edits. (laughs) <laughs> they always do. Ever, <laughs> you ever, ever here prepared Sunday school lessons, sermons? I mean, you get going, your first draft and your second draft, I don't know, <laughs> a lot of times, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. But you know what's, what's nice about it is, as you can start on topic, and we're talking about hope, and the title is, The Power of Hope. And the subtitle is, You Cannot Keep a Soul Down That Hopes in God. That's a subtotal. subtitle. You cannot keep a soul down that hopes in God. We're talking about hope and the power of hope. And it's, it's uh, monumental. And it's something that the Christian has that other people don't have. If, if they have a, a, some kind of hope, it's not a solid hope because they don't have Jesus Christ. But, boy, it had the power of hope. And so we're going to start by looking at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And verse 6 is, is a main thought. We're going to read verses 1 through 6, and we're going to pray. Then we'll get started. The power of hope. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 through 6. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. By faith, Enoch was translated, he should not see death, it was not found, because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Then in verse 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege that we have to be in your house today, and Lord, we want to lift up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, we want to bring honor and glory uh, before your throne, and we thank you, Lord, we are needy people, and uh, Lord, we come before an all-sufficient God on this wonderful Lord's Day, and so we are thankful for it. Thank you, Lord, for your many answers to prayer. Thank you, Lord, for giving this, this country a, a, bit, a bit of a pause, uh, Lord, and we're just we just rejoice in the decision made on the sanctity of life, the protection of the most vulnerable. And Lord, we pray that you'd just, you'd bless us for it. Lord, we pray you'd help us to, to follow through on some other things that need to be addressed. But Lord, we just, we, we stop and we thank you. And we're just so grateful to see this, this step forward. Lord, we do pray that if there be any here today that have not yet repented of their sin and trusted Christ as Savior, Father, we pray that this would be the day of salvation, and Lord, we thank you for all you're going to do, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Mention, of course, uh, keep the Prime family in prayer as they're uh, preparing. We're going to have a, a graveside service. I imagine it's going to be this week, not quite sure exactly when, uh, when it will be. He'll, he'll let us know. Uh, so, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 through 6, of course, a lot in there. It's amazing. Through faith, verse 3, through faith we understand the world's reframed by the word of God. So the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Something from nothing, just the way, just the way God made us. Something from nothing. We understand this by faith. And also science is, in a very awkward, clumsy way, coming to the same conclusion that something really did come from nothing. Verse 6 is really the operative thought. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. This applies to every single area of our life. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Wait a minute, can I please God without faith? It's not possible. It's not that it's a sometimes better way to go. It's not possible to please God outside of faith. And you get, you get somebody who's got the hope of Christ in his soul, and you just can't keep them down. Man or woman, boy or girl, it doesn't matter. You get the hope of Christ in someone's soul and that fire just will not go out. The prophet Jeremiah said, Lord, I tried to keep quiet, but your word was within me like a fire and I, I just couldn't keep it down anymore. Came across a, a very interesting uh, illustration I thought was, speaks very well to this topic. A man approached a Little League baseball game one afternoon. He asked a boy in the dugout what the score was. The boy responded 18 to nothing. We're behind. Boy, said the spectator, I bet you're discouraged. Why should I be discouraged, replied the little boy. We haven't even gotten up to bat yet. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what, folks? As Christians, we haven't even gotten up to bat yet. Our hope is in, not just in today, we, we rejoice in the good things God has done, the wonderful things he's done in the past, the things he's doing now. But folks, our hope our hope pertains to that which is future. And our hope is steadfast in the promises of Christ and, and the blessings of God. And just like this little boy said, why should I be discouraged? We haven't even got up to bat yet. You know, the destiny that awaits uh, all of mankind, we know all about it. And we know that Jesus wins. In the end, Jesus wins. Now that's expectation. That's good hope. That's positive hope. And I want us to take a look at a few things today. The first thing I want us to take a look at with hope is So why do we have hope? Hope is is when you're thinking confidently about something that hasn't happened yet, right? In Romans chapter, I think it's 8, it says, for what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? I don't have to hope that we get a pulpit here today, because guess what? It's here. But hope is when you're looking confidently and optimistically, maybe with great anticipation or expectation about something that hasn't even happened yet. That's hope. That's what hope is all about. So why do you have hope? Why do we have hope? Well, I would say very clearly, very simply, because the Bible says we ought to, amen? This book, it's amazing, the conversations I'm sure you've had with people, I know I've had with people, and they'll say things like, oh, the Bible's mythology, I heard someone make this statement, I think it was on a, a, a tape I'd listened to on a, a debate on this topic, the Bible's mythology, I'm thinking, what a dummy you are, and I don't mean to be derogatory, but I, I feel badly that you know so little about the topic that you're commenting on. The Bible is steadfast. This book has been attacked since, since the day it was created. Attack. And guess what? This book still stands. This book is so incredibly truthful, accurate in every way. It's been, it's been supported and proven many times. And the only people who argue against it are people who really don't know what the Bible says about certain things. Creation being one, history being another, science. You talk about the, the nature of life, the nature of blood, genealogies, creation science. It's an absolute home run on these topics. But the same Bible, they tells us about those things. It tells us about the prophecies of Christ and his eventual advent, his sinless life on this earth, his sacrificial death on the cross, his bodily resurrection and his soon return. The same Bible tells about those things, tells us about the great hope that we can have because of the things that are about to come. So why do we have great hope? Well, when I was a kid, I would play sports. How many of you played sports as a kid? I think we all played sports as a kid, right? And how, many, how, many, how many of you played uh, football in the streets? Football in the streets, hey kid, Jim. You know we're we're bosom buddies here. You know football in the streets, you should play all the time. I um, mean, running into parked cars, those are experiences you just you'll never forget. We had a neighbor. It's kind of a, a neighborhood joke of ours. We go there was a neighbor who lived across the street from our house, and so we had 13 children. Maxwell's had like nine, Yakels had 11, Studio's had seven. We had 30 or 40 kids. I mean, just just all over the streets on a typical Saturday afternoon in the summer. And a neighbor who lived across the street, and this happened more than once, would yell at us and say, go play in front of your own house. (laughs) Why does this happen twice? I don't get it. But we'd play. So you're on a team. And it could be street soccer. It could be high school football, track, something like that. I ran track in high school. Never really that fast, but I, I like to run and they let me run. But and one time I ran the relay, I was more of a long distance runner, but one, one time they let me run the half mile relay, which was pretty cool. And I really knew that all I had to do was run to the best of my ability. That's all I had to do. And we're gonna kill the other team. We're gonna cream them. All I have to do is like not really blow it, and we're gonna win. You know why? This is the first point, because we had confidence in the teammates' ability. We had some high school track runners that were incredible. We had this guy Murph. He, he had legs up to his chin. <laughs> he could do the hurdles. He, could, he, could, he, he couldn't sprint as well as some of the other guys, but he could sprint well. these middle distance. He was superb at And you knew that him or, or Dennis, and his Cousins, friend of mine, he lives locally, as a matter of fact, you give him the baton... He's the anchor on the half-mile relay or the mile relay, or whatever it was they, they put me in. And if we're anywhere near close on the last leg, and Dennis is the one who carries a put, baton last time, we just stand back and watch the game get over because we know what he's going to do. We have hope as Christians because of the teammate's ability because our hope is not in ourselves. As far as our salvation goes... As far as the plan of God goes, we're not even at the level where all we have to do is just not blow it. Right? It's beyond that. We can't lose. We cannot lose. We just want to do well on the winning team. But the team can't lose. It's awesome. Let's look at Titus chapter 2 verse 13. Just a few pages earlier. We're going to get back to Hebrews in a minute. But at Titus chapter 2 and again verse 13 is the operative thought. We're going to start in verse 7 through 13, Titus chapter 2, verses 7 through 13, a wonderful passage of, of exhortation to young men, and it says, in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine, doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters, and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world why verse 13 looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great god and our savior jesus christ now the word and is a conjunction it can compare apples and oranges or it could be two descriptions of the same thing god and father here it's a conjunction talking given the two titles of the same person the great god and our savior jesus christ he's a he is our savior so why do we live Uh, why do we live in this way? Why do we deny ungodliness, worldly lust, living soberly, righteously, and godly in the present world? Because somebody at church said so? Because somebody else said so? No. Because... We look for that blessed hope in the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The best reason why we can live righteously and soberly, and I'm not talking about perfectly or the sense of religiosity, anything, any of that kind of stuff. I'm just talking about as a Christian living right for God because we look for that blessed hope in the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's hope. We have hope in a teammate's ability. It's really nice to know... That in this battle called life, and a lot of times it's a battle. The the Bible talks about the Christian life, a lot of um, metaphors and similes with with the military and the battles and struggles that goes on. We can't lose. We absolutely cannot lose. I like being on a team that can't lose. I like it a lot. It's not like an election where they already counted the ballots before they submitted them. It's not like that can't lose. We're talking about a can't lose and everybody wins and that which is right has been done. See, we have blessed hope because we have confidence in our teammates. Ability our teammate is the Lord Jesus Christ. We're joint heirs with Christ. It's a wonderful reality. And, and turn back with me for just a moment back to Hebrews chapter 6 verses 18 and 19. Hebrews chapter 6 verses 18 and 19. Again, Hebrews chapter 6, wonderful chapter. The whole chapter could be read in light of this, in, in light of this topic. But verses 18 and 19 specifically say that by two immutable, that means unchangeable things cannot be changed, by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. So the steadfast, the anchor of the soul. It's our hope. It's the word of God. You know, emotionally, we can have ups and downs. You've had them. I've had them. We go through them all the time. Some are more, more pronounced than others. Others are like just steady eddies all the time. But we have those things. It's not based upon our emotions. We'll have good days. We'll have unsettling days. That may happen. But our hope is steadfast it is sure and steadfast and it is in two things it's the living word of god the lord jesus christ and in the written word of god the bible that we have before us See, we, we have this hope this confidence because of our teammates ability it's the lord jesus christ and it's all about jesus it's not about lighthouse baptist church it's not about you it's not about me it's about the lord jesus christ and we have incredible hope in it. and he and he's coming back soon he's coming back soon you know when we look at the times in which we live we can see very clearly the, the prophecies of scripture coming to light. In the last days perilous times shall come and shall be loved as their own selves, boasters, proud, blasphemers just shall be parent, unthankful and holy and so on and so forth. The, the list goes on and on. Then we have specific things of course on a bigger level, Israel becoming a nation, the rebuilding of the third temple which I guess is underway. It's I read an article this this week saying it's underway. I I don't know if they actually broke ground, but it's really close. All these things come to pass. Then you find these things like the Roe versus Wade decision. It's kind of like, oh, thank you, Lord. Because is it a downward spiral? Oh, it sure is. It sure is. Satan is still the prince in power of the air. But thank God there's some babies that have been protected. And we mentioned this in Sunday school, and the sermon's not about that, but it's a wonderful point. For the Christian to really rejoice, it just—we had this flash of righteousness in our country. There are a lot of people now. We're not in that group, but there are a lot of people who look at legislation to determine morality. In other words, if it's legal, it's moral. I mean, 20 years ago, for over 100 years, if you want to smoke a joint, you—you find it from some uh, miscreant on the street. Maybe down by uh, St. Luke's or something. <laughs> and you go smoke it behind a bush. And you knew it was wrong. Because you had to find it from this person on the street. And you had to go hide it. But now they're saying, oh no, now it's okay. So the same event, because now it's legalized, now it brings with it this sense, this improper sense, but this sense of it being ethically now okay. Because hey, it's legal. You know, it's been a long time since our legal system mirrored biblical morality, amen? It, it began on that, it certainly did begin on that, and, and, and it has a lot of similarities, but you can't trust it. And so the benefit of a Roe versus Wade to, to a, a people that don't have a biblical mooring, there's a pushback that says, wait a minute, this isn't right, it's not federally legislated. Anyway, so let that go where it is. It didn't make it illegal, by the way. But it is a, certainly a nice step forward. So we have this hope because of our teammates' ability. Regardless of what one or another may do, Jesus is always faithful. Then we have, we have another one. Another reason for hope is truth's inevitability. Truth inevitability. Time is a great equalizer. Water seeks its own level. Truth is absolutely inevitable. Somebody once said, There are no hopeless situations. There are only people who have grown hopeless about them. And sometimes you just need a shot in the arm to remind us hope is not gone. Hope is strong. Hope is vibrant. We have hope because of our teammates' ability. We have hope because of truth's inevitability. We're going to look at a couple passages in Psalms and Proverbs. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 62, verse 5. The book of Psalms, just a wonderful, wonderful book. And, uh, you know, I, ha- I have to admit, I haven't been looking, um, but we don't have the Bible reading schedule in here anymore, right? Yes. Is it in there? Yes. Where is it? Oh, Bible reading this week, first Kings. okay, right, we ran right by it. I'm on a different schedule anyway. <laughs> like, like you're surprised to hear that. Yeah, you're, a, you're on a different schedule, okay. But definitely on a different schedule. But don't you love going through the book of Psalms? It is so refreshing. It's, now, I don't know what your reading like. Some people, and I admire this, some people read you know, a, 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 a selected number of Old Testament, a little bit of Psalms, a little bit of Proverbs, selected amount of New Testament. I like that. I think there's a lot to be said for that, particularly when you get to Psalms and Proverbs. I'm not like that. I just got to go start and start, and I love reading like that. But when I get to the book of Psalms, I feel like I'm wading into an ocean of, of poetry, of beautiful biblical uh, uh, poetry, for lack of a better word. Because the psalmist just speaks from his heart so many beautiful statements. And in Psalm chapter 62, excuse me for a minute, I didn't quite get there yet. Psalm 62, in verse 5, the Bible says, My soul, my soul, speaking to his soul, my soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. It's talking about, there's a couple of expectations the Bible talks about. And in truth's inevitability, truth is inevitable. You can't stop it. You can deny it you can try to contradict it. You can say truth is not truth. You can call wrong right and right wrong. And that happens all the time. The the Bible says woe unto them that do that kind of thing. We see it all the time, all the time. One thing that is absolutely unchangeable, truth is inevitable. It never, ever goes away. Whenever I read about the the death of someone who's lifted up his fist against the the principles of God, perhaps against God directly, because some people are very pronounced in their anti-God stand. I feel horrible for them. And then in the right, God gives them the space of life to, to say what they're going to say. And then it's over. And I think, boy, there's a, a deafening silence right now from that man on this argument, because I know the truth is inevitable. And I don't say they have any sense of rejoicing. I say it with a sense of, of determination, Truth is absolutely inevitable. Of the right, There's an expectation of the righteous. And it says in Psalm 62, 5, my soul, kind of talking to himself, you ever talk to yourself? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's why some of you should have like, cell phones with no batteries. Just talk to yourself all day long. People never even know. You ever talk to yourself? Sometimes you do. I do sometimes. I have an idea I'm kicking around. I don't have long conversations and I don't debate myself. But every once in a while, we might talk to ourselves in a little way. David's doing this here. He's saying, my soul, soul, my soul, talking to himself, wait thou only upon God. Maybe he sensed his heart was wandering a little bit. Maybe he lost a little, and by the way, you read about the Psalms of David and understand the context in which many of them are written. You can understand, oh yeah, I can understand why he might be a little bit depressed. In despair, he's running for his life. But here he says, my soul, speaking to himself, maybe he was a little anxious, he said, "My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from Him." In Proverbs 24:14, I'm going to read a couple more if you want to follow me. This is the expectation of the believer, the expectation. Proverbs 24:14 says, "So shall the knowledge of wisdom be unto thy soul. When thou hast found it, then there shall be a reward, and thy expectation shall not be cut off." The expectation, your hope. It shall not be cut off. This is, this is the expectation of, of the believer, of, of the righteous. The Bible calls us the righteous. The righteous. That's us. Not self-righteous. We don't have an iota of self-righteous. It should never have. If it's there, it ought to go. But we're made righteous. Do you realize that? We're imperfect in our standing before God. You may not. Aren't you glad you came to church today? We're imperfect, imperfect, yet the Bible calls us righteous. We want to be more righteous, we want to follow in the footsteps, we want to follow more closely tomorrow than we did today. But the Bible calls us the righteous. And in Philippians 1.20, this is, so our expectation, our hope is different from people who don't have Christ. In Philippians 1.20, again, Philippians, a wonderful, wonderful book, Philippians 1.20. Of course, Paul's writing to the Philippians. And he says, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Paul's saying, I'm ready to go. In fact, he says later on, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. That's what he's saying. But he's saying, I'm ready to go. My earnest expectation, my hope, I just want Christ to be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. This is the expectation of the believer. The imperfect ones, but believers, the born again people who've have asked God to forgive them for their sin. We realize that we're sinners. You know, there's no self-righteousness. We don't come here because we're worthy, not at all. But we realized what a sinner we were. We asked God to forgive us, understanding that Jesus was the Son of God. He died on the cross for our sins with us on his mind. And we've repented. We've asked him to forgive us. And then he gives us the gift of eternal life. Wonderful. So that's the expectation of the righteous. But now, let's spend a couple minutes on the other side of the coin. And I hope that this burdens our heart a little bit more for them. Turns me to Proverbs chapter 10. We're going to look at a couple of verses, one in Proverbs 10, one in Proverbs 11. The expectation of the wicked, that's the unbeliever. Now, if you're like me, and I've, I've used this term before, you know, what a nice person they are. And I'll say that not in a spiritual, you know, way that you're therefore a saved kind of person, but someone can be a very pleasant person to work with, a very uh, a person filled with good works like cornelius before he got saved people can be like that but without christ we're still left to answer for our own sin and the bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of god we're still the wicked our father's the devil if you were to tell me that i didn't quite grasp that before i got saved that my father was a devil my earthly father he got saved just before he, before he died but my spiritual father was the devil That's pretty amazing. That would have been a little bit more for me to, to handle. I think if you were to try to explain that for him, I don't remember hearing it until after I got saved, but it's absolutely true. My father was a devil, but then I got saved, and now I've been born again into the family of God, and my father, my spiritual father, is now the God of all glory. Now the wicked, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 10 verse 28, "The hope of the righteous shall be gladness." But the expectation of the wicked shall perish. The expectation of the wicked shall perish. Now fill in the blanks on a lot. Of, there's a lot of ways to, to apply that. The expectation of the wicked. How about those people who say there is no God? They'll say it all day long. I, I know people who say there is no God. They're, they're proclaimed atheists or agnostics. And they're fairly intelligent people. Silly on, when it comes to this matter. It really is. It's just... It's amazing what they don't know and what they don't want to talk about. It really is amazing. And they look at us as saying we're we're simple-minded people. Folks, Bible-believing Christians are the most open-minded, I think, for the most part, fairly balanced people on earth. Because we look at all the facts. We look at everything that there is to consider. and We come away uh, just amazed at at the wonderful nature of God. The expectation of the wicked shall perish. It might be that good person who said, well, I'm a good person, hopefully i make it. It might be that person who said, there is no God, but yet their soul will live forever, one place or another. It could be the religious person. We see a lot of religious people that by their dress and by their manner, you can kind of read into what it is that they believe, and you know it ain't about the God of the Bible. You know, you know it isn't about the Lord Jesus Christ. The expectation of the wicked shall perish. So their expectation, it's not a good expectation. Our, our hope, our expectation is phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. One other verse on this and then we'll move on. In Proverbs 11, verse 7. And I think about this all the time. I'm, sometimes I'm too candid, a little too blunt, uh, almost insensitive. And I don't mean to be that way. But it's just, you know, on these matters, black is black and white is white. And it says in Proverbs eleven seven, When a wicked man dieth, his expectation shall perish and the hope of unjust men perisheth. Without Christ, you don't have anything, nothing. But the wonderful news is, and we we spent some time on the the prodigal son today, talking about that that incredible, full embrace that the father gives any any wayward child. Well, that same kind of, and I believe the prodigal son talks primarily about a child who has wandered. But a lot of the truths can be applied, I believe secondarily, to a lost person coming to know Christ. And what a great reception they have. Think about some of the, well, don't think about it, but remember, you were one of them. We were one of them. Then we got saved, and God changes us. And you're worse than some and better than others, whatever it may be, but no matter who it is, and no matter what they've done, there is full and free forgiveness. Biblically based, absolutely true, when a person repents and trusts Christ as Savior. Full and free forgiveness. And, th- and then the hope of someone we might look at now and say, oh, I, I feel badly for them. Where are they are going to go? How, what's going to happen to them? But then they trust Christ and then we can absolutely rejoice. So the expectation. So we have hope because of our teammates' ability, because of truth's inevitability. You can't turn these things around. And then lastly, times inescapability. In other words, you can't stop the clock from ticking. I've had, I don't know how many days I've had like this, where, and it's not every day, but it's, it's more than a couple, where you have, do you, do you ever have due dates? You ever have due dates? You know the best thing I like about due dates is that whooshing sound they make when they go flying by. <laughs> due dates. Well, there's times... And my, today was a little bit like that. I woke up, I usually wake up between 4 and 6, somewhere in there. And if you ever wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning, you just want someone to talk to, I'll, I'll give you David's cell phone number. He, he's, a, he's a chatterbox at 4 o'clock in the morning. But you ever wake up in the morning, and I've done this a hundred times. I wake up, I look at the clock, it says 4 And I'm like, <clears throat> I can't believe I overslept. And then, but you just, you just want a little bit more peace for rushing into the the maelstrom of the day, right? So you lay there, and now it's like 4.17. It's like, ugh, six more minutes by I get anything done yet. What happens? That dumb clock will not stop ticking. I just want some time out. That's all, am I asking for a lot? I I just want some time out. That clock never stops ticking. Time always marches forward. And so this hope that we have, there's a lot of things going on in the world here. We say this just isn't right. It's not right what's going on. And it seems as though sometimes, if you're just going to go by the news, that it's just getting worse and worse and worse. Well, time is inescapable. Time's inescapability gives us hope. Because we look at it, and the Bible says time and time again, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine the vain thing? It's all going to end. And someday, you know, we burn stuff at our... I love living in a place where you can shoot stuff and burn stuff. <laughs> and it burns stuff. I, I remember telling Keith years ago, it's all going to burn someday. Because someone might say you ought not to burn this or that. You know, like tofu stands and that kind of thing. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But you would burn a lot, of brush and all this kind of thing. And should you be burned... I said, it's all going to burn someday. And I don't mean that with that, that somber... You know, dire prediction of you know, woe is us by any stretch of imagination. But the promise of Christ's coming, the glory of the coming kingdom, the inescapability of the judgment seat of Christ, that brings us hope. A sober hope. A sober hope. Not an intoxicated hope, a sober hope. Time's inescapability gives us hope. Why? Because it may seem like the heathen range. You ever, have you ever read about like the Rothschilds? central bankers and all that kind of stuff? Oh, come on, raise your hand. Nobody? Really? Jim, Bonnie, and no, really? Oh, boy. Anyway, there's a world system that people say is out there by the people who control governments and mon- the monetary system. Really, you never read about this stuff? Okay, don't worry, I'm not going to bring lessons on it. I really don't care. Because I'll read about it. And I'll say, okay, so the Rothschilds have organized, and I'm not saying this is necessarily true, but I think there's a lot of truth in it. They've organized the wars and the banking system and the failures and all this kind of stuff. And all these things are kind of by the puppet masters, right? You look at this and say, oh, that's what's going on. And you read about it and say, well, that's, that's not good that these people are running the show and we think it's our democracy and all these things. And then I step back and I step up and say, no, I really don't care. Because my conversation is not in this world anyway. Our conversation is above. This hope, this, uh, this, this concept of time's inescapability, they may have a plan that they think is going to usher in a thousand years of their domination on earth. <laughs> I don't care what they're thinking. Because you know what? I read the book. I read the last chapter in the book. And guess what? <laughs> we win. And whatever their plans are, whatever escape... Answers they may think they have, we win, we always win, and Jesus will always be on the throne. And in, in Proverbs fourteen thirty two, we're going to look at just a couple more verses. We'll be closing in a couple minutes. Proverbs fourteen thirty two. This hope, this hope. So talk to you know, read up on what Joseph Stalin said on his deathbed. There's different accounts, and I'm, I'm not sure if they're true. I wasn't there. But Joseph Stalin, the murderous dictator. Ungodly, one of the most, maybe one of the most wicked men that ever lived. I mean, he's certainly in the top 100. Wicked, wicked men. Ungodly, just horrible, horrible person. I mean, you, look at, you read about the Ukraine famine of 1932. Something that history books almost never talk about. 10 or 20 million Ukrainians purposefully starved to death by Joseph Stalin. And the stories and the accounts you read about, This wickedness, children and parents, and on purpose. So, anyway, so Joseph Stalin dies. He goes away of all the earth, just like everybody else does. He thought he's a big man on campus, thought he'd run the show, make his own rules, this would be great. Well, he meets the same end as everybody else, and he dies. And his last moments on earth were like this in bed, the story goes, he's fading, and he looks up in anger and he shakes his hand like this. Sits up in bed, and then he falls down and dies. Mm. What do you think now, Joe? Yeah. That's a terrible place to go. I don't relish that. I'm a little bit happy that the guy's dead. But I don't relish the idea of where he's gone. God is judge, and God has Justice. In a Proverbs 14.32, the Bible says, the wicked is driven away in his wickedness, but the righteous hath hope in his death. So, Joseph Stalin, he's on his deathbed. This story goes, and you can read these things, find them all over the place, but deathbed statements of people. And they have all different kinds of meanings. Joseph Stalin, angry, and then he falls down and gives it up, right? And I, I think it was his daughter who actually told the story. But then you have so many accounts of Christians. And I'm not saying the way you react on your deathbed is a mirror of absolute truth by any stretch of the imagination. But there is such, so, because you might get nervous, right? Oh, no, oh, no. You know, you're driving with me in the car and just before impact. Oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> Probably not saying, well, bless God. <laughs> you may have some of that, but, but there's a peace of God, and this is something that is, it just transcends natural thought. The peace of God that passes understanding When, like the Apostle Paul said, that's my earnest expectation and my hope. I have a desire to depart. He's in jail when he said it. He knows the way he's going to depart is not very pleasant. I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you, he says. The wicked is driven away in his wickedness, but the righteous hath hope in his death. The righteous, it cheers cheers us. And there's so much more we could talk about. Our last verse for today is Colossians 1.5. So we're talking about the reasons why we have hope. Our teammates' ability, truth's inescapability, uh, truth's inevitability, time's inescapability. And our last verse for today is Colossians 1.5. And uh, I'll be there in just a moment. Colossians 1, 5, we're going to read verse 1 through 5. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are our coloss, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which ye have to all the saints. Watch this. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, where have ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel? And he goes on to talk more about it. It's a, it's a heavenly treasure. A heavenly treasure. This wonderful, wonderful uh, plan of hope. And it's, it's something that, that the world can't understand. Somebody once said, Life without Christ is a hopeless end. But with Christ, it's an endless hope. Life without Christ is a hopeless end. But with Christ, it's an endless hope. I hope I said that right. I want to leave you with the, with the illustration that I start off with today, our hope. Hope is a confident expectation for something that hasn't yet happened. This resides in the heart of the Christian. A man approached a Little League baseball game one afternoon. He asked a boy in the dugout what the score was. The boy responded, 18 to nothing. Kind of like our world today, Christian, isn't it? 18 to nothing, maybe 18 to two. We're behind. Boy, said the spectator, I bet you're discouraged. Why should I be discouraged, replied the little boy. We haven't even gotten up to bat yet. That's expectation. And Christian, oh, we're up at bat. And we're in the battle. But the teammate, the conquering one, the Lord Jesus Christ, he hasn't come back yet. He says, occupy till I come. Keep that hope. Keep that earnest expectation. Live righteously and soberly in this present world. Oh, we've got a lot of reasons for hope. Let's, let's bow our heads for just a minute. And as I look around the room today, I, I believe that you know, most everybody, I'm not going to assume everybody, but most everybody here has asked God to forgive them and asked Jesus Christ to be their personal Savior. Again, believing that he's the Son of God, he died on the cross for our sin. It's a point that can never be said too many times it's just it's so important it's pivotal it's pivotal for our eternity and so we need to keep that that is our hope it's steadfast and sure the word of god jesus christ he's he saved us washed us in his blood and now he says live he wants us to live righteously soberly in this present world but boy we have so much to be thankful for christian this blessed hope this timelessness, regardless of the vacillations of life, ups and downs and surprises it may bring the hope of Christ, steadfast and sure. If you're here today and you haven't haven't clearly trusted Christ as Savior, or maybe you just have some wonderings about it, let us know. We'd love to talk to you about it. You can settle it right now in your heart just between you and God right now. God, I realize I am a sinner and I'm lost all by myself. But I believe, and I want to say right now clearly, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He died for me, and I'm asking you to forgive me based on what he's done. His sacrifice was sufficient. Saved by grace. Folks, let's be those, those pillars of, of hope and hopeful expectation for what God's going to do. We're gonna, Let's stand together and sing a couple of verses of invitation. 508. 508, let him have his way with thee. Would you live for Jesus and be always pure and good? Would you walk with him within the narrow road? Would you have him bear your burden, carry all your load? Let him have his way with thee. Can make you what you ought to be His blood can cleanse your heart And make you free His love can fill your soul And you will see T'was best for him To have his way with thee Father, thank you Lord, for the hope that you give Lord, this is, of course, not just a, uh, well, I really hope, uh, but Lord, it's a hope that we know.